This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for listening. This is Embodied Astrology. This is Renee. You are listening to the episode for Taurus season 2019. Taurus is a season and in tropical astrology, which is what I practice and what I study, the seasons are shifting light and temperature and perspective. And tropical astrology is speaking to that, the way that our experience here on the planet Earth goes through phases and cycles and seasons. And we experience ourselves in relationship to the sun and the moon and other planets, and of course, our own planet which is not different than our bodies. And Taurus season uh, extends from April 20th until May 21st. And in this episode, I'm going to be talking about these um, 30 days or so as a period of time and what is coming in uh, as astrological significance and influence during this period of time. As an embodied astrologer, I'm coming from my background as an embodiment practitioner. For over 20 years, I've been studying somatic practice very deeply. Somatic is a word that means of the body. And uh, my experience has led me through various forms. I've studied dance, I've studied trauma therapy, I've studied body work, I've studied yoga, um, a lot of different forms and methodologies, and the names are maybe unimportant, but all of them are leading to a deep space of listening and elevating body consciousness. And body consciousness is not different from earth consciousness. Our bodies are made of the same stuff that the earth is made from, and just as astrology is a language that teaches us um, that as above, so below, when we look at the stars, we can understand something about our experience here on earth. Somatic practice is similar. When we go deeply into our bodies, we can understand something about um, what's going on in the external world. So my orientation as an embodied astrologer is thinking about the relationship between these languages, the language of astrology, which is a very poetic and creative symbolic language, considering um, planets and stars and the earth and its seasons, and also the language of the body and our somatic experience and how um, we resonate. And they are not different. They, they go together, and that's really how astrology works. So uh, thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I'm really happy that you're here. One mention that I do want to make before I get into this longer forecast and look into Taurus season is that I have a new project I've been working on, which is birthday reports. So these are once a month offerings for the sign. And this month it's for Taurus. Happy birthday, my Taurus friends. I love you so much. 
much. Um, I have a birthday report for you if you're interested in that. It's uh, a little bit of a longer exploration of your year ahead, and it's about a half an hour extended horoscope thinking about your year ahead, what the main themes are, what you're going to be working with on a soul level, on a spirit level. And then along with that recording, you get a PDF that is the year ahead written out, summarized in terms of aspects and transits. And so these are periods of opportunity and challenge and different themes that are at play this year. So you can plan with it. And this is different than your individual horoscope for Taurus season. This is looking at the entire year from April 20th, 20 2019 through April 20th, 2020. And um, it is pretty affordable. It's uh, $15. It's $10 for subscribers. Another reason to subscribe. And um, it's a great way to support me and Embodied Astrology and an awesome way to give your favorite Taurus a gift or to treat yourself um, because you are your favorite and it's your birthday and you love astrology. So check that out. Okay, so Taurus season. I'm recording this episode on April 19th. It is the day of a full moon, and it's the second full moon in Libra, um, the moment before the sun moves into Aries tomorrow. We had the first full moon on the first day that the sun moved into Aries. I said a moment ago, the moment before that the sun moved into Aries. I meant to say the moment before the sun moves into Taurus. So that's this moment right now, April 19th, 2019. And I am recording this episode sitting in this amazing house. Um, and I, I want to locate myself because the place that I'm in has provided a lot of material and content for what I've been thinking of, that I'll talk about in this episode. Um, I'm at the coast, at the Oregon coast, and I'm in the house of a friend. I do a trade with her and I get to come stay at this house um, once a year, a couple of times a year. And it's this beautiful, very simple home uh, that is made from a lot of natural materials. And the linens on the bed that I'm sitting on um, are perfectly worn in and they're definitely 100% cotton. They feel really natural. All of the floors are wood and the wood has been harvested with a lot of care. Um, and the walls and the ceiling are made of wood. And if you live in the Northwest or if you've been here, it's um, pretty classic kind of tradition of building here is to use the wood. There's a lot of trees. And this home was built with um, sustainably harvested wood and it feels very earthy. There's no electric heat in the house. There's just a wooden fireplace and there's a sauna outside and the ocean is um, within my line of sight. So I'm looking out the window and there's the Pacific Ocean. And I feel so peaceful and content in my body right now. And like I have everything that I need, it's very quiet and still here. It is the Northwest, so it's grainy, uh, rainy and gray and drizzly outside. And I feel this kind of um, sleepy solitude that this climate inspires for me, maybe inspires for a lot of people. And I'm here with um, my partner who's just celebrated their birthday. 
And we have spent the last couple of days cooking food and sleeping late and enjoying each other and enjoying their parents who came out to visit and going on hikes and walking on the beach and taking saunas and taking baths. And it's just such a fucking Taurus experience. And I'm loving all of it. It's so sensual and peaceful. (sighs) And I deeply wish that everyone could have this experience all the time. Because as I'm sitting here and feeling um, into my life back in Portland, which is comparatively quite peaceful and luxurious, I feel the dissonance between what I know is my actual pace and the way that I want to live my life and how I do live my life, living in a city and um, doing all the things that I'm always doing. And I think in that reflection, I've just been feeling a lot of what Taurus really means um, for me, but I think commonly uh, in astrology, when we interpret Taurus, there's the idea of the body and the sensate pleasure of the body. And when I was just describing the, the linens and how they're perfectly worn and the feeling of the texture of the wooden floors, it's such a Taurus kind of experience to notice all of these uh, sensory qualities. And in my life, and I think in a lot of people's lives, things are so fast-paced. And then, of course, um, we live in cultures that are just steeped in consumerism and a kind of overwhelming amount of stuff, stuff that for the most part, or for a large part is made really cheaply and it's made by exploiting labor and made from synthetic materials and it's kind of gross to touch or it doesn't feel real. And the more that we get hooked on our devices and in this digital world where we exist on Instagram and um, I don't know, Snapchat or whatever your mode of choice is, the natural world feels further and further away. And it's a really weird thing to be um, perceiving the natural world through eyeballs that have been spending a lot of time looking at screens. Um, we were talking the other day, we were like looking at this beautiful vista and sitting up on this cliff, like looking out at the Pacific Ocean, crashing over these huge rocks, and it was so beautiful. And we were talking about how it it didn't look real. And the way that I think a lot of our eyes are changing from looking at high definition screens and blue light is that then when we look at something that's natural, our eyes fill it in with the digitized expectation And that is such a strange thing. It's like I'm in this moment of feeling the disconnect between realms, the realm of what feels pretty natural and obvious, like, oh, of course, I just want to slow down and um, feed myself and get warm and get comfortable and move slowly and enjoy relationships. And then the life that has been constructed which is like a lot of time on the internet and busyness and driving in cars and like dealing with conceptual shit that makes my life go round. You know, my job as an astrologer, even recording something that's going to go on the internet and, um, yeah, dealing with that kind of 
chasm between experiences. So I just want to place myself there um, as I get into this podcast uh, because it's really a lot of what I'm thinking about. So Taurus season, here we go. What is coming up? Um, Before I begin, I do just, I've already begun, but before I launch into the next part, I do want to say that um, I've been working to experiment a little bit with how I do these podcasts, and I'm going to be talking a little bit more about that um, in this episode, but I, in the last couple of months, was experimenting with a kind of collective horoscope style and really trying to kind of pull everybody into the way that my brain likes to work in, in kind of fractals and prisms and um, give you some kind of preparation for listening to a longer podcast and saying it's a collective horoscope. We're all experiencing this. Here's how to listen so that you know where to place these experiences. The feedback I got was overwhelmingly that it was a little too much and um, it wasn't quite working for folks and everybody missed the individual horoscopes. So I do want to say that they are back and um, you can access your individual horoscope for Taurus season um, quite easily. And From here on out, I will continue with those. I enjoy doing them, so I'm happy to move back to them. Uh, But I had been trying to shift into something else because it's a lot of work. And as I'm talking about these, this experience I'm having with um, feeling kind of the just nature of my body and how it naturally wants to live, and then what I have to do in order to sustain my body, i.e., work. Um, one of the questions that I'm holding for myself is how to create sustainable work. Um, so recording the podcast and the individual horoscopes is joyful work. I love doing it. And it's also a lot of work and you as the listener only experience the end of it. Um, but you're not there for all the times that I stop and pause and edit and make all the notes and go back and re-record a million times and do all the exporting and the uploading and the tagging of things and the getting it online and the sending it out. And that's actually more of the work than just the recording. And it is starting to feel um, kind of unsustainable for me, especially as I open into new offerings and kind of uh, extending my work and doing other things and moving into different pricing scales, which I'm going to talk about too. So um, just my request, please donate, please support this work. If you can just send a couple dollars this way, um, subscribe. When you, when you become a subscriber, you get a lot. Um, you get monthly offerings that include calendars and month ahead looks, and you get discount codes. Um, and if financial support is not within the realm of possibility for you right now, I totally understand. And I want it to be accessible to you either way. And you can share it. You can leave five-star reviews. Please leave the five stars and tell people why you like this work and click the heart buttons and leave comments and forward on the emails and stuff like that. The more that people are aware of this work and benefiting from it, the more people can subscribe and donate. And then uh, the easier it is for me to produce it. And I really want to um, hire some people. I'm getting to the point in this practice where that seems like it's possible. Um, or it could be possible in the near future. And I just want to say that my intention with hiring people is to support queer 
people, to support artists, to give jobs to people of color and women. And if um, you support this podcast through your donations, you will be supporting hopefully soon a you know team of people or a small team or something like that um, of people who are working to do this kind of practice. So please consider that. And that leads me into what I want to talk about, which is Uranus and Taurus. As we enter the season of Taurus, the sun is moving into this sign. It is moving into conjunction with Uranus. And as you know, Uranus has recently entered Taurus. It moved into the sign um, in March, and it had kind of made an ingress last year, um, I think in January of 2018, and then had turned retrograde and had moved back into late Aries. And um, where Uranus had retrograded to is actually the place where the sun is today as I'm recording this and what is being reflected by the full moon. Um Maybe I'll say a couple more words about that, but um, Uranus then had turned to direct uh, last August and had made its way back into Taurus um, in the last couple of months. And this is now a seven-year transit. So now we've really begun the cycle of Uranus and Taurus. And Uranus and Taurus is an 84-year cycle. So Uranus has an 84-year orbit around the sun. And the last time that it was in Taurus was 1934 to 1942. And before that, 1850 to 1859. Before that, 1767 to 1775. So as an American who is pretty typically American, my context for history comes from Wikipedia for the most part. Um, <laughs> you can do your own um Google searching for what was happening in those periods of time, if you don't already know. My context for those periods of time have to do with big changes in political power and economies. And in the 1900s, of course, this was the end of the Depression and the beginning of World War II. Um, So really big, significant shift in terms of how the industrialized West uh, is becoming kind of a, a superpower at that time. And this notion of American consumerism, I think, is really birthed uh, at, at that moment, as well as what's happening with World War II and the idea of alliances and this kind of um, these roles between tyrannical readers and uh, leaders and the quote unquote like free world. Um, before that, in the 1850s, um, the United States kind of saw a peak of migration to the American West. And so the the westward expansion that um, was also the genocide of Native Americans um, was happening at at that time. Um, And this was kind of right uh, at the precipice of of the American Civil War, of course. And then in the 1700s, we have the American Revolution. So I'm sorry, forgive me that I'm illiterate in terms of history for a lot of the rest of the world. And so um, one of the things to do with astrology is just consider that there are cycles and that that's one of the ways that this language works. 
whether we're working with a lunar cycle, what's happening from full moon to full moon, or a yearly cycle, what's happening from season to season, or these outer planet cycles, what's happening every 84 years uh, for the Uranus cycle, or every 29 years for a Saturn cycle, etc. It's a practice of measuring time and noticing what comes up that's similar. And as we move into Uranus and Taurus, there's plenty of speculation from astrologers about what this is going to be. And the speculation comes from repetition, from looking back at what these cycles have been previously and comparing what we know that has happened in the past to what it feels like is happening right now. And just kind of thinking um, very quickly through these past cycles and considering the moment of right now, it seems like it's pretty obvious that we are at a moment of important and um, potentially very chaotic change that is going to involve our economies, that's going to involve the um, balance and relationship between Uh, quote-unquote freedom and tyranny that's going to involve migration and also um, what what we do with people as we expand and as we um, move and as people are are forced to move because of um, current economic and climate conditions and the places that they're migrating from. So a lot of change is happening and a lot more is at the doorstep and we're stepping into it and we all know it. And the way that we're going to respond to it, if we're not already being forced to respond, is um, a question that is very present. So that's what I want to think about in this podcast. I know that a lot of people are already in places where they are being forced to respond. And what I mean by being forced to respond is that the economic pressure or political unrest or the necessity of a changing climate um, is impacting so many people's lives that they have to change. They have to move. They have to find different options now, uh, yesterday, last month, last decade. And for those of us like me, um, who have lived our lives in somewhat of a comparative privilege where we can kind of go along with the consumer norm and feel relatively insulated from a lot of the, the pressure, um, that I think is very, very real for a lot of people, um, it's easy to kind of put it aside and to go like, okay, well, I'm going to recycle or like, you know, I don't know, get a Prius and hope that things are better in the world. I'm going to vote for a Democrat and hope that things are better in the world. And these kinds of changes may be effective, like in some kind of accumulative way, but in terms of where we're going, we definitely need to start making more radical choices. And it's something that I've been thinking a lot about is how do I make these radical choices? I'm not necessarily being forced into them right now. There are ways that I am starting to feel pressure in terms of economic pressure or um, pressure on my freedom. Like if I'm worried about what is going to happen politically in the United States and what it means to be a, a queer female body person of Jewish descent. Like, does that mean that my safety is in danger? Uh Oh, you know, what am I going to do about that? But I still live my life in a place of relative safety and comfort. And so to think into how can I change, um, is, is, uh, not 
an instinctual practice. And I think that this is very much what Taurus is about. And if you're identifying with something that I'm saying right now, and I know not everybody will, but plenty of people listening to this are like, yep, me too. Um, If you're identifying with this, this is very Taurus. And Taurus is a sign that can be um, pretty slow to move, especially if it's comfortable. And when we're comfortable, it's easy to kind of uh, get, get lazy and go to sleep or kind of stay blind to certain things. And Uranus coming into Taurus is shaking us up and it's going to shake us up over these next seven years and really give a lot of us um, the impetus that we need to make changes. And I don't necessarily think that change is bad. And it's something that definitely comes up with Taurus and its opposite sign Scorpio is a fear of change and a fear of moving into the unknown, a fear of letting go of comfort. Um, And I think that there are ways to approach change that actually could be a lot more comfortable than what we're doing right now. So I want to think about that a little bit. Um, And I want to start by thinking about this um, with the full moon that is today. So we have a full moon at 29 degrees of Libra. It's the last degree of Libra. It's reflecting the sun at the last degree of Aries. And um, think back to this time last year and think back to... Uh, December of, of last year, 2018, December and April and May. And what was present in your life at that moment in terms of your relationship to your own freedom and autonomy and how you needed to be in relationship? Um, these last degrees of Aries and Libra, I think, are critical degree points where we understand that we have to figure out how to work together if we're going to sustain ourselves. And this full moon kind of brings this theme forward. And then as we shift into the first day of Taurus, which is tomorrow, April 20th, the sun, um, as it moves into the sign, moves into a conjunction with Uranus. And through the next couple of days, but uh, especially on Monday, which is Earth Day, the 22nd of April, um, the sun will be conjunct to Uranus. And so we have a lot of this change energy that's very present in our conscious awareness and probably very present in the external world. The need that we have to change is getting more and more intense. And what does that mean? we have to change our Taurian structures. So Uranus coming into the sign is a message. It's time to change in these areas of our lives. Uh, Taurus can associate to a lot of different things. And so I'm going to talk about a couple of them. I'm going to be talking about the ones that I'm relating to most personally right now. And this is not everything that Taurus means. And so when you listen to other astrologers and you read other things, that's all true also. One of the things that Taurus most closely relates to is money and resources. Taurus is the sign that comes after Aries. Aries is the sense of self. Uh, Taurus is how do I sustain myself? In our bodies, Taurus rules the, the jaw and the throat and the mouth. And it has to do with what we smell and taste and eat and how we consume and what we value. In the realm of money, uh, Taurus as the second sign is related to our assets, what we have at our immediate disposal to take care of ourselves and how we relate to um, 
security, material security. So when we face shifts and times of big global change and political change, um, there inevitably will be shifting and changing in terms of our resources. And if we think back to these last periods of Uranus and Taurus, there's obviously shifting that happens in terms of economies. And when you listen to astrologers, myself included, you'll hear people talk about changing economies with Uranus and Taurus. And uh, most people or a lot of people will hear this and they'll go, oh my God, fear. What's going to happen? Um, it's going to be a depression. It's going to be a recession. And for sure, that definitely could happen. But I also think that any moment of change and chaos is also a moment of opportunity. So one of the ways that I'm thinking about Uranus and Taurus is how can we create different economies? A lot of people, and probably you if you've been drawn to this podcast, think about capitalism as a mental illness exploiting the land and exploiting other people to create products that are competitive and um, being able to sell them so that we can further our own personal gain is really fucked up. It's a messed up way of looking at the world. It's a messed up way of being in relationship. It is not helpful. It is not healthy for anybody, for anything. Capitalism is inherently flawed. Because it's based on exploitation, it's based on exploitation of resource and labor, and it always centers personal gain, always centers the personal best. And I know that there are uh, like theories out there, like Bernie Sanders' conscious capitalism. I I don't know if that's his theory, but he talks about it. Um, And I think that there are definitely other ways to relate to capitalism. But if we don't get right into the core of the matter, which is that this is a model that's based on exploitation for personal gain, we're not going to get anywhere. We have to shift uh, how we're relating to values and what we're valuing. And if we can shift value away from the dollar and towards something that's more like the heart, the human, um, happiness, we'll be able to shift into something that's a lot more sustainable. And I'm definitely not the first person to say anything like this. And a lot of countries even have have started to um, revalue uh, their like. GDP or something, you know, that instead of thinking about the um, the economic profit of the country, they're thinking about the happiness of the people who live there. And I think that's something that definitely more and more of us could work towards. And if you are a person who is a business owner, or if you're somehow in a position where you're able to make a choice that is a choice of discernment, where you're weighing your own personal Uh, economic gain against the happiness and the well-being of others, then this is a meditation for you. Um, Supporting the happiness of other people does not mean that you have to be unhappy or poor, right? We can find ways to do both, take care of ourselves, take care of our own livelihoods, live in a way that feels good to us and support other people. We can choose to support the people that we love, like me saying, please support Embodied Astrology. I'm going to hire queer people because these are the people that I love and that I identify with and that sometimes have trouble finding jobs that they love and 
could be well paid for. Um, We can support the people that we care about. We can try and create opportunities for people who might not have access to those opportunities otherwise. But there also has to be some kind of conscious shift of value away from a dollar amount and towards something that is less tangible, that has to do more with a quality of being. Um, This is something I've been really holding a lot in my own work. And I think probably something that a lot of you who are listening can relate to. A lot of my clients are entrepreneurs and self-employed people. I tend to attract people who, like me, want to find a way to exist in this system of the capitalist economy without uh, killing their souls by working for something that they don't believe in. And figuring out how to how to make the most of their lives. So these are tend to be my clients. And I know that um, a lot of us are kind of holding this question of how do we relate with money? We need it. We definitely need it at this moment on earth. It's the main currency that we're using to get our basic needs met. And it doesn't have to be that way. It is uh, a form that we've infused and imbued with a lot of power and meaning, but that meaning is constructed. We've all decided to agree that this thing means value. And we could decide to have a different agreement. And many of us are practicing making different decisions. So we're working with barter systems. We're working with um, sliding scale. And over the next couple of months, you can already find it on my website in small ways. So, um, But over the next couple of months, I'm going to be working a lot more with sliding scale. And um, this is something that I think is definitely made possible in the digital realm. Um, so for example, my subscriber membership, I ask people to subscribe by donation. Literally, you can donate 50 cents a month. It has to be a recurring donation, but there's no set limit. Um, it would be awesome if you donated more if you could, but I don't I don't really want to put a price barrier on it. In part because I don't believe in it. I believe that if you find benefit in my work, you should be able to access it and I want to share it. And also in part because I know that if more people can support me at prices that are sustainable for them, or offerings that are sustainable for them, then ultimately I will be more supported than having some kind of barrier. Like you can only support me if you can pay this much. Um, even five or ten dollars a month might be a lot for someone. And I've uh, had emails from people that are, you know, they write to me and they go like, "Thank you that." I can pay 50 cents a month and still access your work because I'm in a moment of a lot of economic precarity or I live in a place where the income, um, my income is really different from yours and $5 a month is a lot for me and I'm really glad that I can access this. So um, figuring out sliding scale methods I think is one way to start to, to move into some of these shifts. And I've been talking with a couple of my clients recently who are interested in implementing sliding scale and I've been working with different language around it and um, trying to re-educate or retrain people to understand that sliding scale is not a way to get a deal. It's actually a way to be in integrity with money and to recognize that you are offering financial support in 
exchange for something that's bringing benefit to you. And that if you can offer more support, that you're supporting more people to access it. And if you give less than you're actually able to, you are taking away the opportunity for other people to access it. And that's one of the key things with the sliding scale is we really need to encourage those of us, and I put myself in this category, who can pay more to do so. Because when we pay more, then that means that other people who can't pay as much can still access it. Um, So I'm going to put a link on my blog post for this episode to some language that I've been working with for sliding scale and two hands together in a deep bow to um, Alexis J. Uh, Cunningsworth. I'm forgetting their full name right now, but I'll link to them that this person is is the first person I found this language um, around sliding scale. And I've worked on adapting it a little bit for myself um, and you can use it too. So if you're a person who's interested in creating more financial accessibility through sliding scale, definitely check that out. And if you're hearing this and you're like, yay, Renee, thank you. Consider subscribing to Embodied Astrology for $2 a month or $20 a month, because um, that's the kind of of work and uh, influence that I want to put out into the world is more financial accessibility for more people. Um, I also think that there are different ways of working with barter and with energy exchange. And um, again, as an example, if you can't afford to send me a donation for this work, but you find benefit, leave me a review. Uh, Send it to your friends and family. Spread the work around. Tell people, you know, if you know someone who knows someone who works at a magazine that maybe wants to do a feature on embodied astrology, tell them. That's an energy exchange. It's a barter. If you grow food in your garden and you want to send me some homemade jam, I would love your homemade jam. If you are a massage therapist and you want to give me a massage, I would love, literally, underline, so many underlines, I would love to get a massage. Um, And I, I do this kind of work all the time in my practice. I'm always trading with people. And that trade feels really sustainable to me. It feels so much more joyful to give an energy exchange to offer something that I love to do that I know that I can do in exchange for someone else's skill or their labor. And it's just as direct as money, if not actually more so. Um, It does require discernment and it does require boundaries and honesty and um, the ability to work with sensitivity because not every barter do I want. And some people offer some things to me that i maybe don't want and so need to figure out how to say no thank you. And I've also tried to offer uh, to people that didn't want what I have to give. And so I have to um, feel their no thank you and not take it personally. And working with barter, I think, has a, has a whole lot of practice that could work around it. And that's a place to experiment. Um, and so I want to give another plug for a class that I'm offering in um, a couple weeks on May 6th. That's the new moon in Taurus, and I'm offering a class called Elemental Economics. And the class structure itself is sliding scale, and um, it's going to be an online class. So you can participate in the online class. You can access it afterwards. And the class itself is kind of um, rethinking the astrological framework of money and value 
to explore these ideas of alternative economies and how we can shift into a new awareness around value and currency. Um, I don't have the answers. I don't think anybody has the answers right now. We all have the questions. And if we can live into the questions together, I think we'll get to the answers quite easily, actually. But the the question now is, is how do we really shift the internal value? And then how do these shifts become embodied? And what do they look like in action? Um, so check out those offerings. Con- consider what I'm saying. If you have stuff to um, offer in relationship or in response, please send me a message. I share things on Instagram and stuff like that. So if you have other resources or ideas uh, that you think people will benefit from, you can share that. And um, if it makes sense to share it in the podcast, I will as well. Obviously, coming from money is the idea of consumption. And consumerism and consumption is such a big theme for Taurus because it is this place where we take into our bodies the, the mouth and the swallow mechanism. It's, it's what we decide to take in and absorb and consume. And Taurus loves beautiful things, right? Like I'm in this place, I'm like, oh my God, these sheets, oh my God, these wood floors, I have a Taurus moon. And so being in um, material and sensory delight is home for me, you know, it's like, I don't want any synthetic materials on my body. I want all the right textures. I want all the right smells when I'm there. I'm so happy. Um, And consumption has impact. And this is something that we have to learn through our exploration of Taurus is how do we consume and what are we consuming and what are the impacts of our consumption? Um, We have been taught for the most part that personal happiness equates to wealth and equates to opulence. And there's, um, I say we, and I want to take that back. Um, I have been taught that as a white middle-class American, being socialized in the way that I have been socialized through white middle-class America, that what is valuable is opulence and and material wealth. Not everyone has been taught that. Plenty of people have been taught something else. So um, it is, however, a very dominant mindset in the world right now that happiness equates to material wealth and that what we consume has some kind of direct relationship to how powerful we are or how valuable we are as human beings. And that's fucked up, right? Like that's coming from this total divorce of uh, the material and the sacred that capitalism does is it takes the soul out of out of everything. It teaches us to just, you know, value what we can get. So one of the ways that all of us can work um, towards these changes that, that we're feeling is with our consumption. And just thinking back to the 1930s and the 1940s and kind of remembering victory gardens and this ethos of thrift, like um, my grandma grew up in, incredibly poor in the Depression, as I'm sure a lot of people's grandparents did. And her relationship to to thrift was so different than mine is. I mean, she saved everything. She, if something was broken, she would fix it. She would, you know, mend all of her clothes, even after she had enough money. Um, 
to maybe buy something new, she would always choose to fix something. She was always cutting coupons and, you know, saving the last of her food and figuring out how to recycle everything into something that was coming next, because that was what she grew up with. And as a young kid, there was no waste. There's nothing to be wasted. My experience in my own life as a person who lives in Portland, Oregon, and, you know, really tries to recycle a lot and buy used stuff and da 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 is I create so much waste. I'm constantly not finishing the food that I've prepared for myself or letting things go bad. And um, if something breaks, I don't really know how to fix it. And maybe I won't take the time for it. And I know that I'm more mindful about um, thrift than a lot of people, much less than many people, but also a lot more than a lot of people. And when I travel to other places outside of, you know, groovy green Portland and realize that in so many places around the world, there actually is no recycling and that recycling as a technology hasn't really been developed to the best of its capacity because most people don't know how to do it and it hasn't been instituted. And then I think like, okay, well, what does this really mean? It's something that's conceptual. It's totally um, foreign to most of us. Like, what does it actually mean to preserve and to be thrifty and to take care of what we have? And what does it mean to produce goods that are quality goods that we can actually fix that aren't made to break? Um, shout out to Apple <laughs> computers that, you know, why is this huge tech company creating smartphones that are built to break? So messed up, built to break in two or three years, forcing consumers to buy the next version of them. And these are devices that are created from minerals mined in Northern Africa, largely, you know, by children who are being paid nothing and literally, you know, killing themselves to get the materials that make our fucking smartphones. And this company is making them to break. What is going on with that? And why are we still buying them? And what is the nature of consumerism that we're so fixed on whatever the new product is that we compel it to continue forwards? And so this is me going back to this idea of, yes, it's the corporations or the people and the power or the system, but we are also playing into the system. We need different options and we need more protest and accountability. If we, the people who consume Apple products, me, you, um, anyone else out there with a Apple iPhone or smart device of some kind, um, started to make enough of a fuss. And we said, we don't want this. I don't want to have to buy a phone every two years. I want to be able to keep this for the next 20 years. Give me the tools to fix it. You know, start building software updates that work with the actual hardware. Don't create new computers every five years that have all new, um, input fucking plugs, you know, the new computers, like you can't plug any of your USB ports into them. So now you have to buy more shit to plug into your computer. You have to throw away the old shit. It's bullshit. And it's more and more waste and it's more and more consumption, which means uh, labor and exploitation of those who are laboring, right? And the resources that are going into it. So I'm speaking specifically to people who 
um, can relate with me in this, this is the, the place where I'm coming from, we have to figure out how to leverage our privilege. And that means that it's our economic privilege to, to purchase certain things, to have buying power. We can use that privilege to make us stink about stuff, to demand what we want. And the more of us that do this, the more that there's actually going to be change that's reflected. Um, I've been trying a lot to shift out of using Amazon. It's really easy. It comes so fast. I can like buy something on my Apple phone in a second and get it the next day. And that privilege and ease that I have um, equates to really poor wages for a lot of people, uh, systemic destruction of small businesses, and a carbon footprint, etc. So how do I shift off of it? I have to really look at my own relationship to comfort. And again, we're coming back to Taurus, to this idea of comfort, like, oh, but it's so easy. It's so comfortable with my Amazon Prime membership. So how do we leverage our privilege? How do we use our money um, so that we don't perpetuate suffering? And in order to do this, we have to look at our own greed. We have to look at our own desire for, for comfort. We have to look at our positionality and the way that we have access to wealth and what that means in terms of what we can stay asleep to and numb to. And that is not easy. It's not comfortable and it's not cute. It's hard to look at those parts of ourselves. It's hard for me to look at that part of myself. And I have to confront the the way that I've been conditioned to look for a deal and to look for what's easy and to prioritize my own productivity, my own comfort, my own ease above the comfort and ease of other people or the health of some greater system. So I'm putting this out there again as a question. It's a question that I'm asking that I don't necessarily have the answer to. And it's a recognition that there are a lot of systems at play in the world right now that are not functional. And it's not just going to be me that figures out how to change them. I depend on a lot of them. And if I can start to make a change, if I can shift, then other people around me will too. Um, the more of us who do this, the more we build cultures that prioritize these kinds of choices. And then we have social pressure and support to make these other choices. So the more people who choose to you know, use CSAs, community supported agriculture to support small farms, to um, use their money to buy uh, CSA memberships for people who are not economically able to purchase them, um, the more we build cultures of appreciation for CSA and the less we want to shop at Safeway or need to, right? So it's, it's momentum. Like the more of us that do, that do this, the more we can do this. Even if it feels like the individual choice is not such a big deal or so easy um, or impacting. It's like if you don't buy your thing off Amazon Prime, nobody's going to give you an award. You know, no one's even going to notice. And if you tell your friends about it and you get them to tell their friends about it, and if a thousand people don't buy their thing off Amazon Prime, then maybe there's a little bit of a, a momentum. But then if 10,000 people, if a million people, if we change and we do that by providing examples for one another and being influencers, then we can actually make a shift. I read an article 
many, many years ago that I don't remember the name of, but this article was great. It, it basically laid out um, a comparative analysis of why do people change? And it said that people change because they are forced to, um, because of, you know, basically like uh, an ultimatum, you know, you change because you have to, otherwise you're going to die or something horrible is going to happen, or you're literally backed into a corner. You can't do anything else or people change because it's pleasurable. Other than that, some people change because of personal choice, like in this gray space, but most people don't. And so in that polarity between change because we have to, because it's literally the only choice, or change because it's pleasurable, how can we move away from the chaos and the trauma of like, oh my God, we have to change into, oh, we can make choices that actually feel better and that end up uh, providing more pleasure for ourselves and for the world around us. And that leads me into the last theme that I want to talk about for Uranus and Taurus, which is this theme of the, the Uranus, the Uranian influence of awakening and liberation and freedom in the Taurian subject of the body. So Taurus is a sign that is very associated to the body and Uranus is an awakener. And at this moment on earth, there are so many people who are starting to get really turned on to embodiment. You're listening to embodied astrology, you're doing your yoga, you're practicing your different dance forms, you're doing your somatic meditation, you're learning about hakomi, about somatic experiencing. I don't know all the things, but there's so many things right now that are all about awakening the body. And there are all these leaders and all these teachers that are saying, get into your body, get into your body, feel. And so much research that's coming forward is about trauma and the way that trauma um, leads us into a state of freeze. So when we are traumatized in our lives or if we're recipients of inherited trauma, that this is there, trauma is literally frozen energy. It's some kind of charge that was too big and too intense to be processed at the moment that it happened. And so we shut it down and we shut it off and we store it somewhere else until we're able to deal with it. And trauma awareness and trauma-informed practices are... um, this is growing in our consciousness right now. There's tons of books. It's on talk shows. A lot of people... um, spreading news about it. Like Oprah Winfrey, I think is about to do some big series on it. I think with like one of the British Royal family members, I feel like I saw that on social media and I don't know if that's true or not, but if Oprah Winfrey and Prince someone or other are doing some series on trauma, you know, that this is a thing, right? Like people are paying attention to it and trauma informed practices and trauma awareness help us come back into our bodies because what trauma does is it freezes us it separates us it takes us out of our immediate experience and we go out into our heads or into abstraction or into the idea we lose track of our actual needs and sensations we don't understand our own boundaries or other people's boundaries and we can't live in any kind of coherent relationship with the material of our lives including our our bodies, including other people's bodies, including the planet. So 
we have to come back into our bodies if we are going to heal. And in order to come back into our bodies, we have to feel them as safe spaces. And one of the things I think that we could move towards as an idea of changing because it's pleasurable is literally pleasure. And um, big shout out and deep bow to Adrienne Marie Brown for her book that came out, Pleasure Activism, basically as Uranus comes into Taurus, please get it and read it if you haven't already. She really gets into a lot of different ways that we can think about trauma and pleasure and coming back to our bodies and um, being with our sensuality, our sexuality, our desires, our needs, our shapes, um, our pain. And there are lots of folks out there who are doing work around pleasure and embodiment. Very simply, sleep, rest, having enough space to just decompress is a change that a lot of us could um, consciously make for ourselves. And if you're able to help other people make this for themselves, do it. So again, if you're a person who's responsible for someone else's economic reality, if you are paying your employees, figure out how to give everyone paid time off, even if it's just a couple of days a year. Encourage your employees to have nap time. There are however many studies now that show that people who um, have more time for rest are actually more productive, like the four-day work week actually leads to more productivity. If we have time to rest, it means we have time to integrate. It means we have time to attend to the shit we actually need to attend to. And then when we are at work, we can be there and we can be present. So if you're someone who's involved with creating jobs for other people, prioritize rest, nourishment, is so simple. We need nourishment. We don't need to be eating a bunch of refined carbohydrates and sugar and chemicals. We need simple food and clean water. Support your local farmers. Try and get your city or your town to implement a good uh, water filtration system or some kind of, you know, farm share situation or work in your community to do big bulk orders from Azure Standard or, um, you know, Thrive or like uh, Full Cycle, you know, one of these online companies that works with small farms and organic producers. And if you order a lot, you can kick Amazon out. You can take the place of the distributor. You can work within your community and pay less than you would at the grocery store. Safety right? This is very basic. Like we need safety to feel pleasure in our bodies and safety comes in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways that it really comes in is through boundaries and teaching people to respect each other's boundaries. So if you're a parent, you know, teach your kids how to advocate and to listen to boundaries. And if you're someone who for whatever reason, you can have influence around other people's safety and their feeling that they have a right to exist. You know, if you are the administrator at a library, you can create an all-gender bathroom, right? Let trans people feel safe in public spaces because they can fucking go to the bathroom. Safety is one of the ways that we can come back into our bodies, that we feel like we have a right to exist. Touch is so important and 
by touch, I mean platonic touch. I don't mean like sensual massage or anything like that. I just mean contact. The ability to uh, rest into touch, and that could be our own touch and it could be someone else's. But I know um, for me, I, I work a lot with touch through my various modalities. And first of all, it's really important to ask consent, like, can I touch you? Is that okay? And then to feel like, is someone actually saying yes, because they want the touch? Or are they saying yes, because they're worried that they can't say no? Um, And to have conversations around touch, and maybe to work to break down some barriers around who is allowed to touch. Um, It's one of the biggest tragedies, I think, that in, at least in Western cultures, there's not a lot of touch that is platonic. Like touch is reserved for um, familial, like, you know, maybe with kids when they're really little, but then at a certain point, people stop being touched and you, you're like only allowed to be touched by your lovers or partners. And there's not a lot of just platonic loving touch with friends. And I am so thankful to be queer because a lot of these barriers get broken down uh, through queerness where there's like, because there's no protocol around like, oh, touch is only between, you know, like a man and a woman when they're being sexy with each other. It's like, no, touch can happen anytime, you know, like if we need touch, we can ask for it and we can give it. And I have a lot of friends that I cuddle with and I'm affectionate with, and that's so nourishing to me. And it doesn't take it away at all uh, to, from the specialness of the touch that I share with people that I'm partnered with but in some ways it even makes it better because I'm not so hungry and uptight and worried and anxious about the kind of touch so if we can learn touch in our bodies and how to be just simple in our bodies touching and being touched that would be huge I don't know how that happens in a world where touch has become so dangerous and there are like so many barriers, but I think it can happen. And I think it's definitely a question of education and re-education and boundaries and consent, learning how to touch in responsible ways. Um, Those are just a couple things that I wrote down when I was thinking about how can we change towards more pleasure and to, to make this clearer, as we move towards these more pleasurable options, sleeping more, getting enough rest, uh, having access to food that's actually nourishing, having safe spaces, having touch that feels good and healing and healthy, we will not have the same desires to consume. We, we won't need to satisfy those um, intense cravings that we have when we're not feeling safe or when we're feeling really tired or when we're not nourished. When we don't have what we need, we end up grasping for what we don't actually need. We take what we can get or we get into ideas about what we want that uh, come from pretty misaligned uh, places. So um that's what I have to say. Get thee to a somatic psychologist or find an embodiment practitioner to work with and um, see what you can implement in terms of some of these ideas. Again, write to me and offer your own. And just as kind of a a closing um, aside, I want to come back to the embodiment of Taurus and the rulership of Taurus to um, the the jaw and the tongue and the throat and the swallowing. 
So if you would just take a moment and take a deep breath in and try and feel this part of your mouth. And I've just been talking a lot, so I can feel that the root of my tongue and my jaw joints are kind of tight. But it's something that I notice a lot is that my tongue is tight. And the tongue gets tight when there's anxiety or when there's focus. And to relax the tongue and to let it fall back away from the roof of your mouth and to feel the width of your tongue and the softness in the root of the tongue immediately translates into a relaxation in the gut and a response in the pelvic floor. So as soon as you can relax your tongue, the belly relaxes and your asshole and your pelvic floor relax. And that is the lesson of Taurus, my friends. (laughs) When we're tight in the tongue, when we get really gripped into what I want, what I want to eat, what I can have, or any other manifestation of Taurus when it's kind of in its detriment, we can't digest. We can't actually receive into our bodies. And we become tight asses, literally, <laughs> get a tight ass, um, which is uptight, right? It's fearful. The The body response is to pull the, the tailbone in, which is um, a gesture of uh, uh, fear and submission in animals. When we let the tongue relax and the belly feels soft, and the asshole can relax, and your pelvic floor can feel wide, what a different sensation in the body. Next time before you eat, just try that. Especially if you've had relationships with food that are in any way um, imbalanced. If you're a person who feels like you eat stuff that you know isn't good for you, if you overeat, if you undereat, um, if you, if you have cravings that you're just like, oh, this craving isn't, you know, it's not actually what I need, just try relaxing your tongue for like five minutes. Just breathe through your nose, relax your tongue, let your jaw get real soft, feel what happens in your belly, feel what happens in your pelvic floor, and then see if your craving is the same after that. I'm going to bet it shifts, okay? So an idea to bring forwards into Taurus season Let's change towards pleasure. A couple other things I want to mention before I hop off. Um, Speaking about pleasure and the voice and uh, what we do with our creative agency, I want to encourage you to listen to a podcast I put out um, about a week ago, and it's called Shapeshifting Queerness and Creativity in Conversation with Indira Valley. Indira is a friend and an inspiration to me. She lives in Portland as well, and she is an amazing artist, a multidisciplinary, multi-talented artist who uh, has a lot to offer in many ways and is a very exceptional musician. One of the the most amazing musicians I think I've encountered um, in quite a while. She's super, super talented. Um, And I did an interview with her and we talked about a lot of the things that have come up in, in this podcast and she's so inspiring. So please listen to that. And I also want to um, give a shout out to Heidi Rose Robbins, who's an astrologer who was one of my first teachers and she has a, um, her, her work is called The Radiance Project, and she does a lot with embodiment in terms of theatrics, I think, and poetry with astrology. And I got to do an interview 
conversation with her um, last month, and that's also available online, and you can check that out um, if you want to hear that. I want to say that over the next um, few months, I'm going to be working um, to implement a sliding scale uh, system for my sessions. And I've been trying to work it out for the last year. I I had sliding scale for a while. And the problem that I was running into is that um, a lot of people weren't using it appropriately. So I was having people request the lower end of the scale and then realizing as we did the reading that they didn't need it. And um, that was feeling really bad to me. So I've been kind of uh, in a place where I'm questioning how to work with it, how to ask for what I need and also make my work accessible to those who can't afford it financially. And over the next couple of months, I'm going to be getting um, these changes up on my website. And I always have individual sessions available. And if you want to work more with astrology, um, please contact me for a session and please choose the option that's appropriate for you. Um, They may not be up right away, but within the next month or two, they will be up the sliding scale. And um, if you get on and the sliding scale isn't up yet, but you can afford it, then please sign up. Um, The Elemental Economics class is coming up on May 6th. Check that out if you're interested in rethinking currencies and economies and values. The class that I offered last month on Chiron, Reconnecting the uh, Separated Self, was really powerful. It was a really powerful class for me and um, it, it definitely um, is continuing to reverberate in me. And this work with Chiron um, is deep. It's really, really deep. So if you're interested in Chiron and Aries in working with your ancestral patterning and your wounding and your healing, please check that class out. It's 25 bucks. It's $20. If you're a subscriber, you get that discount. It's a three-hour class. There's a lot of content in it. And um Again, I think it's really powerful work. There is a Taurus birthday report that's available uh, for all of you Taurian people, and that's a special product. Please check it out. And uh, I mentioned it at the beginning, so um, you can find it from my website. And then, of course, your individual horoscopes are available. Please get them. Um, Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for all the ways that you love and appreciate and support Embodied Astrology. Thank you for writing me your feedback and sending me your love notes and your suggestions. Thank you for following me on Instagram and Facebook and all of your reviews and all the ways that you participate. Um, I will catch you in a couple of weeks at the new moon in Taurus. I'll be offering a meditation um, and embodiment practice to bring in that new moon. So please check back in with me then and enjoy your Taurus season. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.